Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. It's another Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. Welcome to the first Bisexual Brunch of 2021. Happy New Year, both of you. Did you have a good uh, Yuletide, as it were, Nikki? I did. I had a terrific time, actually, despite all the insane amounts of restrictions on us. Um, drank way too much on New Year's Eve and paid the price for three days afterwards. I mean, it was so unwell. And I'm not drinking consequently, which is delightful because I can't remember the last time I actually was deliberately sober. (laughs) So I'm really enjoying it. Like, clear-headed, no anxiety in the morning. It's really nice. It's what normal people do. (laughs) And you've not had your hair done, but I don't think, but we're sat looking at you with pigtails it reminds me. It reminds me of sort of an episode of um, Little House on the Prairie or something. Have you gone all? Uh, have you gone all traditional here or what? No, no. It's just absolute sheer laziness. My hair was doing some wild things this morning. It's very straight and flat and fine. My hair normally, but I just was like, oh, it, it obviously wants to go that way. So I just did something different. I'm also absolutely fed up of looking at myself in the mirror, catching sight of my own reflection. I don't know if anybody else does this going around the house, just like looking in mirrors. Probably just my vanity, my narcissism. Well, most of the time we're looking at ourselves on Zoom at the moment, aren't we? That's the thing. Well, and that too, I think. So I just get so sick of looking at the same old face. I was like, just do something different. (laughs) (laughs) And Lewis, you've had your hair done as well. I have. I mean, my hair is a a source of misery actually this week because something terrible happened where... I did find a grey hair, a single grey hair, <laughs> and I'm only 29, and I am far too young to have this happen to me. So thoughts. You and have prayers. a baby. You've got a baby. You can literally directly blame it on your daughter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let's hope that that's what it is. <laughs> You're turning me grey. My dad. Um, my dad went completely grey at 30. Bizarrely, it's strange, oh isn't it? Oh my goodness. Wow. Some men go grey very early, and some men just go bald, don't they? You know. Oh, God. Well, I'd rather take grey than losing my hair, but um, I'll, I think it's time to give it a Google and see what's the best course of action. Should, is it one of those things, if you pluck it, then 10 come back? I don't know. <laughs> we'll just see. I don't think so. I've dyed my hair for so long that I've no idea if I've ever had a grey hair or not. I mean, I must have done by now. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I can pretend that I haven't. Now, guys, it's the new year. We've got lots coming up on uh, Bisexual Brunch over the next uh, few months. Uh, lots of new personal stories from different parts of the world. Uh, quite a few people have been getting in touch with us and telling us how great it is that um, we're doing bisexual brunch from all over the world. So we've got some uh, great, uh, unique stories coming up. But we also uh, had a huge response to our appeal for people to get in touch about uh, music and arts and acting and all sorts of things, anything creative that they're doing, which um, gives an idea of 
um, bisexual culture, as it were. So um, we're looking. We've got to go through all the different people who have been in touch with us, but hopefully we'll start to showcase some of them in the next few months as well, which would be fantastic. Um, but today we thought we'd look at the area of attraction, and because often bisexual programs, either on TV, if there is any, not many, on radio, uh, magazines on the internet, blogs, all the rest of it. Most of what we talk about, let's face it, a lot of the time, including on Bisexual Brunch, has been about, you know, woe is life. We suffer from biphobia. Um, nobody is interested in us. Nobody gives us any time of day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll return to all those things at some point. But the um, programmes that we've done, the podcasts that we've done, which have talked about things in a more broader sense... And, and very much about us, have been the ones that we've got the best response from. So the one that we did about our sex lives uh, is really, really popular um, and seems to be um, going up at a, a crazy rate. So everyone loves to know about us and our sex lives, it seems. <laughs> so I thought we'd carry on in that vein this week and look at the issue of attraction. And obviously everybody's got different types of... Um, you know, we're attracted to all sorts of different types. Every, nobody's the same. But I think it's interesting to understand people's experiences in that because it doesn't really get talked about that much um, when it comes to, you know, who your types are, who, you know, and, and what um, um, and how we play that out in life. And I think things change and alter. And I think that is part of your, the experience of being a human being at the end of the day and being a sexual human being and an emotional human being. And um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about that. So, um I don't know whether you've both able to tell us, but when you first, and again, of course, there's the um, there's the attraction to men, attraction to women, attraction to different genders, and whether or not the attraction is very, very different. When you first started out, Nikki, in dating, um, and I think you were originally dating men rather than women, I think, weren't you? What was what were you looking for? What was your ideal man? Mm, really good question. What was my ideal man? Well, I, you know, it changed as my, my taste changed throughout my teens and twenties and thirties. And when I say taste, I mean, what, what I was doing intellectually or what, what music I was listening to or what books I was reading, that kind of the person, the ideal person morphed with those things. I don't know how common that is for other people, whether they have a kind of ideal at 16 which is still there at 26 it's still there at 36 but it definitely wasn't like that for me so um by the time I was sort of 25 I wasn't I wasn't looking for a life partner I don't think I've ever been looking for a life partner I think that's important to say right but I was definitely I was always attracted to people that were dark haired and kind of dark skinned than me so physically looked the opposite of me that never changed that's always been quite consistent um and then in terms of personality they they had to be you know, somewhere between quirky and eccentric. And depending on <laughs> depending on how far up towards eccentric they were, denoted how much difficulty I'd have in dating them, I think. <laughs> so I would say now that my husband is pretty quirky, he's not eccentric, and that works out really nicely. But I've dated some absolute mad beasts of people. And, um, yeah, they've sort of turned my life upside down. But I do, I mean, I take full credit. I'm sure I'm pretty mad myself, and it's the combination of us together that didn't work out. But you must but, have, there was something about eccentricity, though, that must have attracted you then. That... I, I don't like people, anybody that thinks routinely 
has a normal job, has normal aspirations to have a certain 2.4 children life and retire at a certain age. When I was a kid, I just was like, oh my God, get me away. Had absolutely, you know, there was no bigger turn off for me than somebody who was conventional. And increasingly, as you get older, you kind of become a bit wise to why people want certain things because they provide stability and comfort and security and they're kind of good for you. Not all of them, but some of them in a certain arrangement. So as I got older, I've been more compromising on that. But I definitely would say that my husband's kind of like overall appeal is his quirkiness. That's kind of how I see it. What about the physical attributes in, in, in terms of men? Did they have, were they, were they tend to be quite hard guys, soft guys? What kind of guys did you go for originally? And has that adapted over the years? That's a really good question. Uh, I've never been into particularly macho men. I don't like domineering masculinity in any variant. My dad was a really kind of like soft, artistic, left-wing kind of a guy. And I think that just kind of set a trope for me. And um, I'd never been out with a bruiser, never been out with anybody who's like in the gym seven days a week. That's just not my vibe. So, but whereas at the beginning, I probably dated people that were like a bit more wishy-washy. They've got to be quite practical now for me. So like them, them, their machismo might not be evident in their physical prowess, but mentally they've got to be pretty sturdy, if that makes sense, to cope with my craziness, basically. And do you friend, remember your first date with a man? Um, I remember my first date with a boy. I mean, I was equally a child. We went on this collective date when we were 10 years old. My, my group of friends at primary school went on a cinema date together. There were four girls and four boys. And I went out with this guy called Carl, who I had no interest in whatsoever. I'd just been matched with him because I think we were the odd ones out. Everybody else had kind of already, already paired up. So we were kind of just, you know, the, 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 the ones left over. And he bought me a, a cheap necklace from Asda that was like a fake gold N. And I remember throwing it back in his face in the cinema because I was really appalled that it was just so tacky and horrid. And now I just think, the poor little guy, he's trying so hard to be so sweet and romantic. And I was an absolute bitch to him. And um, I wonder if I've scarred him for life or not, or whether that conditioned any of his dating behaviour after that, because I'm really sorry, Carl, if it did. <laughs> well, we'll come back to you in a moment, because obviously we want to talk about your dates with women and how things altered and changed with that. Um, so, Lewis, did was your first relationships or your first dates with men or with women? Girls. I didn't know I was bisexual until I was about 19. So it was very much like just thought I was straight, was attracted to girls, everyone else was attracted to girls. So that that was what you did. You didn't really think too much about it. Of course, now I look back and I was attracted to men. I just didn't really understand it at the time. And what kind of girls did you go for at that time? What were you looking for when you first started out, do you think? Well, in some ways, I think it hasn't really changed. Like, people you get along with, but also want to kiss. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, really simple. And, like, extra points and I'm putty in anyone's hand if you can make me laugh. Like, I think a sense of humour is so important. Like, people that just, like, come out with the one-liners constantly, and I'm in hysterics. Like, that that was, especially in those early days, you know, I think back to some of the girls in school that I either dated or had crushes on. They were always just really, like, funny, we got on, we were always laughing and joking, and I wanted to kiss them on top of it. And when you got into adulthood and you started dating, were there, were, were there things that you were disappointed by i.e. you'd, you know, you got an impression of what a particular uh, woman might be like and you started dating her and whatever. And then you you, you add, you know, because you, there are misconceptions. Are there, are there certain things we think about when it comes to relationships? Was there anything that 
either shocked you or disappointed you or changed your course in terms of the kind of women you were attracted to early on? Changed the course of women I was attracted to? Ooh, that's interesting. I will say one thing that I've kind of realised as I've gotten older. I think for a while, as a young person, I think that it was kind of like somehow got into my mind that sex was something that like girls didn't want to do, but they did to make men happy. And I think I always felt a little bit of guilt with sex as like, oh, she's only doing this like to make me happy. Even though like now I realize that's not the case, like women enjoy sex. So I think that there was a little bit of that early on before I kind of understood that women really actually quite like sex. Um, Well, certain women, obviously. so I think there was always that little, that bit of an element there of like, do they actually really want to have sex? Um, or are they just saying they do? Um, and I think, I don't know, I think it got harder the more I got in, uh, the more I understood my bisexuality because men and women are so different, I think. Um, but I won't say that my type has changed much, right? Because what you basically want is someone you get along with, someone that you kind of see eye to eye on, um, but also, I will say this that's really changed, like, from from dating quite quite early on, is I can't stand people that are looking for their other half. Like, there's no bigger turn-off for me than someone that's like, well, I'm looking for someone. Like, for me, it should be like, I'm having a party over here. I don't need you, but I'd like you to come and come and be at my party if you want. Um, that That's kind of the vibe I, I want. There's a lot of mind games goes on, let's face it, in the early days of any kind of relationship whether it be a short-term or a long-term one let's let's face it we're talking then uh lewis um about the whole issue of how women see see sex looking at that nikki how do you see it from the other side the point is that it is difficult isn't it because men and women don't tend to communicate about these things and there's a lot of guesswork that goes on really yeah i mean our society is just so negligent when it comes to teaching us how to have good discussions about what we want in bed. Can I just cut in? Like, so I've just, memories just come back. So whenever there was like a kissing scene on a film, my mum would be like, oh, kissy, kissy and cover my eyes. And I was like 14. Like, and it, so that like, kind of like maybe subconsciously was like, oh, like this is wrong in some way. Sorry, Nikki, to cut in, but just give it. No, no, there. you're fine. I think you're right. I used to have a cushion, but that's when I was probably like nine years old or younger. And my parents would let me watch BBC drama as long as they, when I, when they said cushion, I put the cushion up at various points during these <laughs> saucy sex scenes. I remember one of them was um, Patsy Kensit. Remember when she was famous, Ash? Yeah. Back in the 90s, she was like everybody's, everybody fancied Patsy Kensit. And she was in a production of Adam Bede. And I remember it really distinctly because I was really intrigued by her being very beautiful and I wanted to look at her. And But, you know, my parents were sh- shouting cushion at me all the time. Um, <laughs> maybe that's got something <laughs> to do with what I ended up doing later. I have no idea. Um, but to get... You've made me lose my train of thought now, Liz. But to get away from our childhood inhibitions, um, to come back to this issue of, yeah, men versus women around sex, I just think the way that women and men are taught about sex told about sex, the messages they learn really early on, even if you've got really liberal parents like I had, they are all about kind of like two categories, two species of people and their relationships to sex. And that takes a long time to get over. And I actually think as bisexuals, we're probably, we probably get round to the fact that everybody likes sex pretty much equally as equally as each other because we date across the gender spectrum. So the minute I dated women, it was like, well, wow, like, of course, women are very sexual and want sex and 
have all these ideas about what they want to do. The sex is different for sure. And the way that they interact around the sex was different. But the the willingness and the wanting, that didn't change in any regard. In fact, actually, it was greater. And it was be, it was interesting being on the receiving end of female desire to see how kind of potent it was and how how strong. Because I, you know, from the from an inside perspective, you never have any true concept of how you come across sexually to other people you know you just don't you've got no idea what your what people what the impression of you is and whether you are kind of like dominant or um you know submissive or a bunch of other things despite what you might think about yourself so I think when you date women as a woman then you finally kind of it's kind of like the mirrors held up in somewhat in some regards and of course everyone's got their own distinct individual sexual personality but you do get to see certain things that women do that you know that you do played up against you and you either have a very kind of a strong like of them or dislike. And one of the things in particular that stood out for me was um, women's need to communicate around sex was far greater than men's. And I actually found it when I first dated women really hard to deal with because I actually ended up behaving like a guy, like couldn't really handle having a debrief or an intense conversation about where this was going or what was happening. You know, I was just like, oh, I'm see you, I'm leaving now. You know, that's kind of what I was like. <laughs> it's really funny thinking back on it, but I was quite, yeah, dismissive and almost predatory in some situations. I don't think, I, it wasn't like that after, after a couple of years, but at the beginning, that's definitely, without realising it, I absolutely slid into the male role in all of my relationships or interactions with women. What about the type of woman that you initially went for? I mean, I know you can't say in, we can't say you, you went, well, I don't know, you said you were predatory, so maybe you were out there trying to, but, but I don't know, you tell you tell me. But um, but what I mean is it pro- that probably evolved, didn't it? But did, was there a difference in the type of women you went for compared to the type of guys you went for? Yeah, there was on a personality spectrum. Um, there wasn't in terms of looks, actually. The men and women I've dated have all looked quite similar to each other. Uh, so that's quite interesting. There's obviously a physical type of person I'm attracted to and the kind of gender is just like the interpretation of certain elements, if that makes sense. It's really not the gender that drives it. But in terms of personalities, then, yeah, probably probably I didn't expect women to be as kind of independent as men are and that seems ridiculous because I would consider myself absolutely an independent person I didn't want somebody that was clinging on to me but I there were there were certain there were certain kind of uh, breaks that I gave people because I was aware that I was now examining them through a sort of gendered perspective and I couldn't expect exactly the same kinds of behaviors and interactions with me so that sort of shifted a little bit but by and large in terms of like were they quirky did they have a really interesting other things going on behind their day job, you know, all that kind of stuff was exactly the same. But do you, you were saying there about how you um, saw women and how they, you know, because we've all got a perception that we're about what people are like to an extent. And, and there is a perception that, you know, the old fashioned perception is that women need to be looked after and cared for and all the rest of it. And that's not a bad thing to feel that you want to look after and care for somebody. But do you think there was an element of that in you that felt you, you were maybe attracted to or wanted to do that bit of caring and, that side of it, do you know what I mean? That's really interesting. I think one of one of the things I remember being really shocked by was when my first girlfriend bought me flowers very early on in our relationship. 
And I remember thinking about just like how she would, she was a gift giver in general. She was one of those people that just loves to, you know, buy you presents kind of thing. And she was always so thoughtful. Whatever she would get me was just overwhelmingly brilliant. And I remember thinking that was really distinctive because all the guys that I'd been with, even if they had got me presents on various birthdays or Christmas or, you know, rich, ritual gifts, they were never that special and never that thoughtful. And I remember thinking that this quality, I attributed this quality of her amazing gift giving to her gender, not to her personality. I remember thinking it was very much what I would do as as a gift giver. And so, and I could be completely, I could have got that completely wrong, but I just remember thinking, oh, this is what happens when you date women. This is one of the differences. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. I've had mental health problems, I think, for most of my life. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. My friends didn't quite understand why I was being the way I was being, so support was was pretty much non-existent. A brand new podcast brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. I'm Professor Alice Roberts and this is Life Matters. Few people understand that you just actually just need to just sit and listen to what the person's saying. We do know that there are some people who tend to be more at risk than others. In our feature on the latest initiatives from around the world, we find out how three schoolgirls from Brazil have developed a suicide prevention app aimed at Generation Z. If something bad happened to me today, I'll go there and add a drop of water. We're with the team at Hollyoaks to hear how they've been showing how soap can inspire life-saving conversations among men at risk of suicide. I just feel absolutely nothing at all. Nothing, just dead. This way you get to see Darren's journey behind the scenes. He's really struggling and he doesn't know how to reach out. He doesn't know how to get help. You know, it's always been this taboo subject. Join me, Professor Alice Roberts, for the very first edition of Life Matters. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. From the creators of Bisexual Brunch. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Zavia and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong. Masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen by searching for the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or visit distinctnostalgia.com. we got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh. Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease and pretty soon thousands maybe millions will die the same way you're listening to bisexual brunch lewis so when you came to date men was there a significant difference in the type of men that you went for compared to women i mean what were they what kind of bloke yeah. do you, what kind of blokes do you go for um so it is interesting and 
I'm not going to apologise for who I'm attracted to, but it is very stereotypical. So with guys, I do kind of like mask for mask guys, and I like them to be taller than me. Um, so if we're talking about physical attributes, so it's like taller than me, you know, very manly, if whatever that means. Um, and then on, on the girl's side, it was very, um, you know, didn't want her to be taller than me. Um, you know, wanted her to be quite girly, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I don't know, that's just the way that my attractions lie, I think. Because everyone always says to me, like, oh, wouldn't it be the hottest thing in the world for you as a bisexual to have, like, a threesome with a man and a woman? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, that would be overload. Because I either have to be, you know, the man with a woman, and I understand that, and my brain, like, can comprehend that. Or I even have to be a man with a man. I can't mix the two, and that's just how my brain and my attractions kind of lie. And it took me a while to figure that out, to be honest. Um... If we're talking personality-wise, I don't think that's changed much. Again, I don't want people that are looking for their other half. I want people that are confident in themselves and having a good time. And me is coming into their life as a cherry on top rather than essential brick work. Um, I like people that have a good vibe. I like people that, you know, you can talk to about everything. Like, you know, we've all been locked down now for coming up to a year. And I I said to to my fiancé the other day, I was like, it's weird. We've literally just talked for almost a year and not gotten bored there's actually not been a moment where we're just like sitting there in silence because we've exhausted conversation so I think that's quite important um and then on the sex side I think I need someone you know um I've always wanted someone that's like intersex doesn't isn't funny about it because I've been in relationships with dating people before who are kind of like funny about sex or whatever it is. And I, I'm just like, no, like sex is fun. It's not that big of a deal. Like to me, like it's not this whole lead up thing, especially when I was dating and, and running around being a little slut. Um, it, it just wasn't that big of a big of a deal to me. So someone that kind of felt the same way that sex is fun, you know, be safe, um, be responsible, but it doesn't need to be this whole big palaver and upheaval and if we have sex once it doesn't work out it's not like I was used um but I do think um being with men kind of similar to what you said um Nikki being with men and having sex with men taught me a lot about sex that I then could take back to having sex with women so like I kind of said growing up there's all this this like thing that somehow got into my mind that like having sex with a woman was taking advantage of her in some way um, whereas when you're kind of like two men, it's kind of like, well, no one's being taken advantage of here. Like in that way, that whole stigma, that framework of whatever's been put in place is gone. And then just being like, oh, two people can just enjoy sex and it's fine. Actually, why can't it be this way with women? Well, actually it is. It's just, it's just the stigma on top. So I think it actually helped me in some ways, um, having sex with men, um, to go back to having sex with women. And Honestly, being, like, surprised in bed by what men did sometimes is like, oh, still in that move, and then going back to women with that. Um, you know, it, it all worked out really nicely. I was going to say about that issue of going... Because both of you went from um, being, you know, having relation, straight relationships, as it were, to finding that you were able to have relationships with people of the same sex as well. Um how did you both navigate that? And what surprises were along the way, came along the way? Because it's it's not easy straight away, is it? You know, because there's lots of, not just the physicality of it, but the, the mental side of it is different as well. Men, two men and two women together tend to think of things in a different way. The, you know, if you suddenly jump into the gay world, particularly the male to male gay world, 
Um, there's lots of weird and strange. When I say weird, not weird. The you know the the regular things that go on. But but if you're new to it, it's very difficult to navigate people's attitudes and perceptions and what you do, what you shouldn't do, what you're allowed to do, etc. What 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 happened there, Lewis? I would say I think for me it it happened in the right way, and I'm so lucky and so grateful at the way it all kind of happened. So it wasn't that I grew up having this what I would have perceived as dark secret that I couldn't tell anyone. I was I was hiding it. I thought I was straight until I was 19. And it was only when I moved to London, started having gay friends that then said, come to gay clubs and seeing men kiss and the alcohol's flying. And you're like, oh, that might be quite fun. And then it was really weird because there was obviously that element of this is naughty, which is what I'd had as a younger teenager with women. So then the whole sneaking around with men and disappearing, you know, off with off with this gentleman so my friends didn't see, it kind of felt like being young again, if that if that makes sense. Even though I was only like 19, 20, so I was quite young. Um, it was kind of like, oh, like this is like being a kid again and sneaking around. Um it it was it was it it happened for me in the right way, if that makes sense. It wasn't like this whole thing that I didn't understand because I was around a lot of gay men that were like, this is just how we are. This is how we live. So the stigma was, it was kind of like you're in this magical LGBT world where you don't have to feel judged for it. Even though I wasn't even telling my gay friends that I was sneaking off with men at the time. Um, so I don't know, for me, that the transition into realising I was bisexual was, from my personal perspective of taking the stigma out of it, it was it was quite a nice way for it to have manifested and, and for it to have happened. Was there any shocks though? Was there anything about dating men that shocked you or surprised you no and it's i think it's very strange right and maybe it's because a male and female dating is very like well that's expected that's what you do and so then you focus on all these other things like has he brought me flowers has he done this are you as a man fulfilling this role are you as a woman fulfilling this role whereas when it's with two men and it's kind of like you know there's still that element of oh, we could be judged for this. It's kind of like, well, let's forget about all those silly things and let's just actually get on and enjoy each other. And should we go here and should we go there? And I'm better at cleaning, so I'll do the cleaning. You're better at cooking, you do the cooking. So it was actually, it was actually quite a nice learning curve of what a, what a relationship should be like without all the kind of stigma and baggage of what a male and woman, I feel like because it's expected, there are these expectations um, of, of how it will be. And if it doesn't reach up to that, then one of you might be like, well, this isn't working. Whereas with a with a gay relationship, it was slightly easier because it was kind of like, we're, we're lucky to even have found each other and to be able to live our lives together. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think the thing that frustrated me more than anything, and it's frustrated me about across across the different sexes generally, but particularly in, I started out in the, in the gay world and um, it was just the... I don't know. I didn't. It was great. It was magical to be able to have relationships with other men. It was fantastic. It was like, God, I've arrived. I've you know, I've got, a, I've got the potentially. You've got a partner, possibly possible partner. Now I know that's opposite to what you were saying, Lewis, of how you hate the fact that everyone wants to settle down and all the rest of it. But and I understand that. I do understand it now. But at that particular time, right at the very beginning, it was very difficult to know um, where things were going. So you'd have uh, dates with men. Uh, or you'd end up having a one night stand with a man that you meet in a club or whatever, and then virtually you'd never see either see them again or speak to them again, or if you did see them, they wouldn't speak to you. And I found all that a, a bit of a mind 
problem. You know what I mean? What about you, Nikki? What was was that? Was that a similar kind of thing in the when you were dating dating women at the beginning? Not really. Actually, I uh, what I remember distinctly was that was that I could not flirt with women. I had zero skills, zero game, and I felt developmentally like I was about 13 years old when I was going on dates with women. And I just, I, I, I didn't have any chat. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to put my hands. I didn't know where to look. And to this day, even as I got more confident, the more I did it, to this day, if I've had someone ever flirt with me and they're a woman, I always feel completely flustered by it. Whereas if it's a man, d- don't care, like no interest, you know, it's like, and it, but a woman will literally stop me in my tracks if she if I think, hang on a minute, is this person flirting with me? Feel totally overwhelmed, don't know what to do. Again, the same things come up. So I've always found that quite curious. And I like what Lewis was saying about it reminding you of being young. There is a thrill in kind of being taken back to a sort of halcyon time of golden exploration of yourself and other people, right? And so I definitely have had that over the years. That's interesting. What about, uh, what about you, Liz? I mean, did you, when you first started out, like I was saying about the whole issue of, of just knowing what it was all about. I mean, I know that um, presumably when you first met somebody, when you first first met a man and realised that you were interested in men, presumably that was mind blowing. That was overwhelming. It was like, oh my god, you know, this is this is very this is new. I want to see where this goes, kind of thing. But were were you mature enough by that point to realise that? it might only be a one night stand or were you like me was thinking actually i want to know i want to get to know this person kind of thing i mean what i'm saying is were you ever disappointed by the experience on the gay scene i mean no i was probably the little slut not calling anyone back to be honest i was, I was the problem um but <laughs> i think I'll, I'll be really honest now because i i think that probably this happens as you're kind of understanding your sexuality and as you're kind of accepting yourself that you're bisexual and this isn't just the alcohol talking, I do think in those early year or two of realizing, in my mind, I was like, well, I could never like be with a guy full time. Like, this is just fun. Like, this is just drunken fun. Like, you know, there was probably that element of it of me kind of then getting to the point of being like, no, I actually could be with a man like forever I could marry a man but I think early on it was kind of like oh well this doesn't mean anything you know there was there was definitely that period as it as I kind of like slowly accepted myself what my attractions meant so in that question of you know were you calling people back like no um but then there were people I really fell for quite hard um that then maybe didn't feel the same way. So there's definitely disappointment because there always is. You like someone more than they like you or vice versa. Yeah, there are definitely, I mean, probably the first guy I ever did something with properly, I actually really like kind of rejected him because I was like, no, what does this mean? No, this is just nothing. And then like kind of like realizing to myself, actually, I do like him. And then kind of trying to slide back into his DMs and he was like not interested at that point. And me being like, no, I burnt that bridge because I was so focused on being straight that like I I ruined that now and then that but then that kind of helping me grow and be like well you idiot learn from that so yeah I I I wasn't so much disappointed because I was young and I didn't really want to settle down anyway I was probably part of the problem um by not calling people back yeah I don't know I think we're all on our own little journey just like Nikki with her throwing that poor boy's necklace back in his face we learn and grow we are all on a journey <laughs> we are all on a journey and, and and people are talking a lot at the moment about sexuality being fluid 
and uh, you know so that that means you know people going from being feeling straight to gay to bisexual to whatever they may be but also equally attraction changes doesn't it as well so there will be periods in your life you know i i started out always being attracted to both men and women who were quite soft and gentle and caring kind of people and i'm i always felt as though i wanted to be the person who was looking after them that kind of thing that's and that's generally to an extent most of the kind of people i've probably dated over the years but there've been strange moments when i've been besotted by people who are hard and masculine and just completely the opposite have you got any have we got any stories along along that uh, side of things nikki you know there are people you've been really surprised about that you think there's no way i'd have gone for that person but there was something about them that just was magic well yeah i mean i dated somebody who politically held completely different views to me and that was really difficult in fact i've done it twice i've done it with a woman and i've done it with a man and some of the things that they believed separately which were different i found abhorrent but for some reason i stayed in the relationships in both cases because i think there was kind of an energy that came out of the conflict and um, if you've done that, you will only ever do it once, or I've done it once in case of, you know, one one guy, one girl. But you'll never do it again because it, it's just the worst kind of tension and frustration. And then often people have really good sex out of it. I don't necessarily think I did, actually. I think I just got, I just kind of felt quite disgusted by some of the things that they thought. So, but it's funny that I did in both cases spend quite a lot of time with them separately. And I kind of look, I look back now and I'm like, what on earth was I doing? But I think I really needed to test that out for me. Like, where's the limit of my tolerance? Like, at what point do I say, well, that's a view that I can't get on board with and I definitely can't kiss you or go on a date with you as a result of it? That's interesting because I've dated, um, I think of myself as a liberal um, and I've dated socialists. I've dated. conservative people dated nationally i've dated quite a few actually it's not a right slag but basically i've dated dated a few and my uh, experience is my experience in a nutshell is that um uh dating other people who were liberal minded was was good was fine because you can be open and you're honest and there's no issues or no problems whatever um dating conservatives was actually really exciting in a way bizarrely um i found them adventurous entertaining there wasn't very many issues actually it was really quite good but i found socialists really boring <laughs> i just found them really dull <laughs> <laughs> and that there, there's no way i could probably have a relationship with some, somebody who was a hardened real hardened sort of socialist i don't know why they just don't just i don't know they're very everything's about conformity to an extent do you know what i mean and i think that's what i don't find attractive in that kind of person but definitely my tastes have changed physically so, so it's you know there are people i've ended up with i've just thought there's absolutely no way i'd have ended up. and then the other thing is people grow on you don't they we, we often hear this phrase don't we people grow on you that you meet people that you don't fancy initially and then you end up fancying them have you got any experiences like that lewis um oh let me think i mean on your politics thing i think one of the weird things is i like because i've been with my partner since 2016 like and the last the, since 2016 with trump and brexit that was where everything really got political so for me i'm like i don't know if politics ever really came up i'm not even sure if i knew half the people i dated what they thought politically but then with me i am such a bisexual through and through in the term of not picking sides so i like 
I think I'd find it infuriating with both of them. I'd be like, you left wingers are wrong, your right wingers are wrong. Like, <laughs> we've got to find a common middle sensible ground. Um, I think you're so, a centrist so, in, in, in every term, it seems. <laughs> I'm a centrist in every every single term. I just don't believe in these extremes. But what, what will I say? On people that surprise me, there's definitely been people that were just persistent. And then I was just like, kind of like, oh, okay, well, let's see how it goes. But... It never really went very, very far on those. You know where someone kind of like grinds you down. They're always messaging you. They're always nice. They're always like, come on, let's go for a drink. You're like, oh, fine. Um, and then you're like, oh, okay, it was it was all right. It, was, it wasn't, I don't know. Um, oh, have I dated anyone? I mean, I, I would say to an extent my ex-boyfriend was probably not my usual type. I mean, he was like six foot five. So that was kind of my type. But he was not the most manliest of men, which is kind of what I had gone for. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying, I need to get out my little black book and kind of like refresh my memory of people. There were people that grew on me though. There were people that like, okay, this is really weird. There was this one guy that um, I kind of would never have sex with, but we kind of kissed and did other things and dated, but I would never have sex with him. And then like, I met him like three years later and I was like, get in my bed now. So like, like, I don't know if he changed slightly or, or I had, but something happened in those three years where I went from like, nah, we, we can we can play, but we're not going all the way to being like, oh, great, come on in. So I don't know. I don't know. That was, that was my little ramble. I have no specific example. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. A compelling new podcast featuring some of the biggest names from TV and film. I lived, get this, with Joan Sims. I'll never forget it. The parties were amazing. Of course, all the carry-ons would come round. Kenneth Williams was outrageous. Nostalgic conversations where the stories take centre stage. I said to Noel Gordon at one point, I do love your car. Here are the keys, darling. Go and drive it. I mean, that was that was knowledge. In the end, she said, darling, buy it while you can. Intimate discussions about some iconic moments from TV and film history, featuring the voices of those who were there. We all got to choose our first names, didn't we? Yes, we did. We sort of went round and sort of decided what everyone's first name was, whether you liked it or not. I don't think I would have chosen Donald. I definitely didn't choose David. I think James Corden probably named most of us. And I remember James hadn't prepared anything, but kind of improvised his whole biography. Do you remember? Distinct Nostalgia by M.I.M. Memories are made of this. We're here with two inspectors of Juliet Bravo. So when you come to do any filming, you've got this skirt on and this jacket and the coat was cold. The hat wasn't reinforced. It wasn't a helmet. And I had a handbag. There wasn't a single pocket in my jacket. I mean, talk about ill-equipped. Search for Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown, and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but 
heart need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Hello and welcome to The Likely Dads, a new series that looks at parenting from the paternal perspective. I'm always wary of people who plan kids. If your life's that structured, <laughs> stay away from me, we're not going to get on. <laughs> a brand new show from the team behind Bisexual Brunch. I'm Tim Vincent and each week I'll be joined by my fellow Likely Dads, Mick Ferry and Russell Kane, as well as a series of special guests to discuss different aspects of fatherhood. When a man has an urge to have a, a child, it's not spoken about much, women sort of own this area. <laughs> we're sort of hoping it was going to be like the old films I watch where I'd just have a pipe and I'd be in a study. You just go, you're going to see your father now for ten minutes. <laughs> Hello children, what have you been up to today? I'm not interested. All right, off to bed. <laughs> An MIM production for BBC Radio 4. We hope you'll join us and subscribe to The Likely Dads on BBC Sounds. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. One of the things that we have to... Uh, deal with i think as bisexuals more than a lot of people do although of course everybody's now now the world is changing and people are realizing or starting to realize that um roles in life can be you know multifaceted etc but one of the things we have to probably deal with is that whole issue of the stereotype of how you know that a a man should be masculine a woman should be feminine and you know one person should be active somebody should somebody should be passive all that kind of stuff and that that manifests itself doesn't it in 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 gay relationships very much and the working out that dynamic can be quite hard and sometimes you feel as though you end up getting pushed one way or another um now it might be your choice that you are one way or the other what it may be in, in terms of wanting to be dominant or not or whatever it may be but actually realizing in the end that actually you could be everything. You could be. You could be all of it. Whatever, depending on the people and the person. Nikki, what what do you think about that? Because I think that does cause a lot of anxiety in relationships, doesn't it? I think it does for certain kinds of people. One of the absolute triumphs I think of my love life has been the fact that because I've never played strictly the role of submissive or dominant partner, I've always sought a combination of qualities in everybody that I've dated and in my relationship with my husband, we actually, we definitely pass the book back and forth. So sometimes he's the boss and sometimes I'm the boss and that works perfectly. And it can be about completely different things as well, you know. I don't think there's a lot of gender stereotyping in our relationship because I've dated women. And I actually think that's one of the, you know, there was one of the, it's one of the biggest benefits of having done it is that now I don't presume that he should do any number of things because he's the guy. That's good. What about taking the bins out? Have you sorted that one out yet? Yeah, I'm trying to increasingly take the bin out because I see it as like, you know, a way of getting over any kind of stereotyping that I'm falling into. He does all the cooking, so that's good. I absolutely hate cooking, so that's fine. Um, I do, I clean the kitchen now because he does the cooking, so I think that's a fair exchange, but I was extremely resistant to it at the beginning and felt that I was being pushed into a, a feminine role that I didn't want. So I we had a week of arguments, whereas I'd just like thrown a dishcloth back in his face kind of thing. But I've sort of accepted that, no, it's actually just fair. <laughs> it's nothing to do with gender. So, so <laughs> Lewis, what about you and the whole stereotype of, um, you know, uh, passive, 
dominant, submissive, all that kind of thing, particularly in the gay relationship side of things. Did you how did you how did you navigate that one? I feel like if I'm being honest, because my biggest relationship was with my ex-boyfriend, I don't feel like it... I feel like maybe he took the lead a little bit more on certain things, and he was a bit more forceful. So actually, I would say the caveat, though, was then I had to be extra forceful when I disagreed. So it was kind of an even balance, if that makes sense. I would say the weirdest thing I found was when I came out of that relationship, I think we were together two and a half years. I Then when I came back to just being single again and going on dates with men and women, I did increasingly find that there was different cultural things and that when I was with a girl, I did have to play the man role. I'll never forget when I was going on my first date after the breakup with a girl and my housemates were like, so who are you going to pay? Where are you taking her? And I was like, no, we'll split it. It's a first date. And they like burst out laughing. We're like, no, you're the man. You have to pay. And I was like, what? Don't be so stupid. People don't still think like that. Like, and they were like, they do. And I, I think there is, there is a difference there. And I think you, whether you agree with it or not, you kind of have to adapt if you don't want to end up alone. So it's like, okay, well, this is kind of expected in, a, in an opposite sex relationship for some people. So I'm going to have to kind of adapt and kind of read the room and read the situation a little bit. Not completely compromise my morals, um, but like, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of a, okay, well, I'll, I'll pay for this then. Or, or I always say, me being a gentleman with my ex-boyfriend was if he was on the night bus um, back when we could get a night bus. Um, if he was on the night bus drunk, my idea of being a gentleman would be to wait until I started, wait until he got back to start the film I was going to watch. Whereas when I was dating a girl, she was drunk on the night bus. Being a gentleman was going to the bus stop and walking her home um, to make sure she was okay. So that there are those differences and I don't know. I, don't, I think there's too many straights for us to ever really get past it if we can't educate them out of it. <laughs> One of the things that I used to do with my ex-girlfriend is she she wanted to be the boss all the time and I it drove me absolutely insane but the one thing that would always get her was if I treated her to something like if I took her for a meal or I took her on holiday so I quickly learned that if I threw my money at something I got to be the boss and I absolutely loved it <laughs> like I couldn't get enough of it and um to this day if I'm feeling particularly flush I will spend money on my partner because it does make me feel really like a big man I love it I thought you were going to say, and to this day, I'm still paying off the credit card. <laughs> yeah, also that. No, no, no. <laughs> what about sexually, though, Lewis, in terms of... Because with, with, on, the, on the male side, I'm sure it's the same on the female side to an extent, but on the male side, there is this whole question, isn't there, of active, passive, top, bottom kind of thing that comes up a lot. And mm. um, I was watching a comedy over Christmas called Two Doors Down, one of my favourite comedies. And there's a, there's two gay guys in there. There's a gay couple in that. And one of the one of the jokes in it is this guy who lives next door to their to their parents. He's always he's, he's straight, but he's fascinated by the active, passive, top bottom thing. And he was asking them, "Well, who takes the role in your relationship?" It was really embarrassing, quite cringeworthy to watch, but it was really really funny. Um, but people are, are fascinated by that. And also, and I think when you go in, you get into a, a a gay male relationship, you've got that at the back of your mind, haven't you? That that might be something that comes up. And how do you play that? And of course, not everybody does have penetrative sex, etc., on a regular basis. It doesn't happen. You know, a lot of gay gay people don't have that. How did you navigate that? Was that something that was a, a problem or a shock for you? Or because I've come across gay men who just are not into that whatsoever and are completely horrified by it, and in fact, it's damaged their 
ability to have regular relationships. Um, I mean, on the on the top bottom thing, I think I probably came into it after having sex with women, being like, "Well, I'm obviously top," but actually realizing that actually I quite liked a man leading and a man taking control, um, which obviously then leads to that question that everyone always asks: is like, "Oh, so does your girlfriend use a strap?" I'm like, "No, it's it wasn't so much about the sensation; it was more about the that oh, it's a man; he's taking control and in this thing and uh, and that kind of vibe." Whereas when I'm with a girl, it's like, I want to be the man, if that makes sense. In, the, in that kind of, it's not about a certain body part being stimulated, if that makes sense. Um, but I do feel like you raise a good question. And one which I've always thought society is not ready to talk about with bisexuals. And I, I just, I think we, we kind of open up too many doors when we talk about it. But it's like, your attraction to men and women can be different. So I'm talking more like, you could physically be more attracted to men, but you could emotionally be more attracted to women. And we don't really talk about that as much. And I would say probably, I think this is probably linked to my childhood trauma of like kissy kissy, my mom covering my eyes. But say like when I'm out and about, like, and I see a hot girl, I could, I'm like, there's a hot girl there, don't look. Whereas when I'm with, when I see a hot guy, I'm like, oh, look, um, if, that, if that makes sense. So I'd probably say like, I've probably seen more men in my life that I found attractive than women, if that makes sense. But then if you go past to when you're actually talking to them, an attractive guy I can easily be turned off from. Whereas I found girls I didn't even find attractive. Then you start talking to them and they instantly become attractive. And I think it's about actually seeing the person rather than the body, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And Nikki, on the dominant side of things... I mean, this is something you know, you've got a bit of experience because of the being the dominatrix kind of thing. So you knew a little bit about that kind of area, <laughs> as it were. Um, what you know, how does that play out? How did that play out for you in in the lesbian side of things? I mean, did you feel that that was a? I mean, did, did you? I mean, did you did you take a role? I mean, what you know, what was the? How did you? How did you see it at the beginning? So my professional domination work was all acting. I think that's what's really important to say. I, I, you know, it really wasn't akin to my personal desires. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the things that I did or I didn't use imagination in kind of coming up with the scenarios I did, but it wasn't, it wasn't a defining part of my sexuality. So I think that's important to say to start off with. So then when it came to kind of being with women in terms of like the power relationships of the sex, then for me, it was just always... I was always, I always felt that it was much more about exploration. It always felt very even in terms of the power because uh, I didn't want to go in in there and like seduce someone or dominate them or have them do a bunch of things to me that I demanded. Like I just, I just don't think like that. And I, I wonder if that's the difference generally between men and women generally in terms of men and male, male, male relationships, female and female relationships, and male and female relationships in the sense that um, I'm sure you know. I know that I know from my own experience that you know, um, sex is not all about penetration and dominance and whatever. I know that. And there's plenty of sexual relationships I've had where there hasn't been any of that involved at all in, in any way, shape or form. So, so I know that that's the case. But generally, there is a perception, isn't there? And I think that men in particular, there's this whole perception of want of needing to have some kind of dominance, whether it being, being dominating somebody who, or them dominating you or whatever. Not that that's necessarily exactly what people want, but it's the 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 narrative that that's the way it is kind of thing and, and and i suppose when it comes to women that isn't the case necessarily is it because there isn't necessarily 
the same kind of ability to dominate in the same way, I suppose. It's different. No, well, there's obviously a narrative that says that there's something inherently biological about men's need to be in control or be on top or be the lead or be the more dominant sexual partner. And I obviously have met and encountered people who are comp- like, just like we have a spectrum for gender, for sorry, just like we have a spectrum for sexual orientation in terms of how straight to gay you are. I definitely think there's a spectrum from how dominant to submissive you are. And I don't think that... I know that culturally we are we are subsumed into behaving one way or another. Like, I know that's absolutely true. But I think that when you mix it up with the genders and you put, say, two women together, all sorts of other things come out. And so that's kind of what's more interesting about that sex because all the stuff that's to do with power play sort of melts away because it's not relevant. So people then start to actually just do the things that they find compelling to do. And it has very little to do with power. So I think if you can get under the surface of it, men and women sexually probably have a bunch, well, I know they do, a bunch of things that don't fit into any kind of dominant or submissive role that they want to do. And something I learned about domination work was that it wasn't that these people were secretly hiding who they really were, which was submissive. It's just that some of the time, sometimes they like to do things that other people thought were submissive. And with the people they were with, with their partners, they couldn't do those things. And so that it therefore built up and it was a kind of an urge they decided to act on. But my point about that was just that I think everybody has an absolute unique balance of things that interest them. And then depending on who they date, they get to do them or not. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's a fascinating discussion we've had. <laughs> I hope it's enlightened uh, a few people. I mean, in terms of your relationships now, do you think they uh, they they uh, both fulfil your uh, expectations from when you first started out, Nikki? I, I wouldn't have married somebody that I didn't think was the best thing since sliced bread, to be frank. He's literally my favourite person in the world. And, you know, I, I just think he's brilliant. So, yeah. No, no problems, no, no qualms. We've got to say this, though, haven't we? Really, we can't. can't no, I haven't. He knows that if I, if I'm annoyed with him, I'll tell him the truth about something. Like when I first met him, I didn't think that we would end up together at all. Actually, I thought that he was just kind of like a flash in the pan. And then one day, I just thought, oh, hang on a minute, you're not looking at this person properly. And then everything changed for me. But he, I do rib him a lot about the fact that when I went on a date with him, I kind of wasn't bothered and didn't think I'd ever see him again. And is there anything about not dating women that you miss now? That's a good question. Well, yeah, probably just like the sex, really. But that's just like deciding not to date anybody else but your partner. I mean, everybody has a moments where they would like to have sex with somebody else or a certain kind of sex. I just think that's being human. So. And you've not ruled out the possibility in the future, have you? I haven't ruled it out. So, yeah, don't, I, I don't worry about it. I feel happy, though, so, you know. So I'm digging, I'm digging deep here, I'm digging deep You here. can dig, you can dig. <laughs> so, Lewis, what about you? Are you? I mean, again, you've got to say you're very satisfied, I'm sure. I'm sure you are, to be honest, genuinely. But, you know, is there anything that you miss about the whole male-male thing? Yeah, I'm really happy. Um, and I, I always say to, to my other half, you know, when we met, I was literally living the dream. Like, girl, boy, girl, boy. Like, there was a waiting room outside my bedroom. I was having the time of my life. And I was, like, not wanting to settle down. And I met her and it was like, oh, God, she's too perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on that whole um, missing thing. So, I, as I'm talking to you now, um, not only has my fiancé walked into the room holding the baby, our 11-year-old has walked into the room as well. So I'm, so I'm going to have to censor myself um, and say, yeah, of course, but um, what I will say about it is kind of similar t- to what Nikki said, is it's it's you're not kind of upset about it because I think when you 
go into a relationship, whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever it is, it's like, but the person I'm with is worth not having sex with random strangers for. And I think so quickly that kind of element of it rolls away, if that makes sense. It's like, well, why would I want to do that? My relationship and the sex we have is is so good that why would I want to be with a, with some random stranger just to have a certain kind of sex? The thing that I don't miss at all, Ash, is the awkwardness afterwards, the realising that somebody is a bit crap. That sensation where maybe you kiss them and you think, oh, actually, there's something about them that's really off and I don't know what it is, but it's too late now. I'm in too deep. Might as well. I don't miss any of those. <laughs> don't miss any of those moments. Been there, done that. <laughs> no. The only way out is through. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. Again, it comes down to communication, doesn't it? Being able to communicate with people about how you you feel and sometimes it's hard to say exactly how you feel about somebody um yeah interesting stuff um right well we've we've almost uh, concluded this week's show then really just something to uh, run by you my partner was um looking up we were trying to find out we i don't know why but we were we we're trying to work out what a group of bonobos were uh what you call them and apparently you call a group of bonobos a box of bonobos apparently um and then we thought oh wonder what what would you call a group of bisexuals? And anyway, um, he stumbled across um, somebody had written that a group of bisexuals, it's the only thing he could find actually, um, was um, could be called a faff of bisexuals, <laughs> which figures in some respects uh, faffing around. But um, we don't get many bisexuals together. We don't have we don't have call to actually talk about bisexual a group of bisexuals often, do we? But um, Nikki, any thoughts on what you could call a group of bisexuals? Oh, probably like a fiddle of bisexuals because I just find it is quite fiddly, especially in a group with lots of people with their conflicting desires, wants, positions. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of conflict. Maybe that's why we don't congregate so much. A fiddle. That's a good one. What about you? <laughs> what about you, Lewis? Well, I quite like fiddle, but if I had to come up with one myself, I, I, an eclipse of bisexuals because it's rare. <laughs> an eclipse. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Yeah, it's 2021. I'm going to go organise my shelves. I'm going to go for my daily government-allowed walk. And I'll see you all here next week when nothing will have changed because we haven't left our house. <laughs> this programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you.